Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works COVID-19 update. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, retaining top talent, and perhaps today, avoiding wage and hour violations. In this episode, we are going to discuss some of the unexpected wage and hour issues that have arisen as a result of the pandemic. That includes everything from changing duties for exempt employees, the consequence of pay cuts, and possible classification changes of employees. Here to discuss this topic is Maggie Spell. She's a partner at the New Orleans location of Jones Walker. Maggie focuses her practice on cases brought under federal, state, and local employment law, including Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the Age Discrimination in Employment Act. She regularly offers wage and hour compliance advice and has represented employers in numerous Fair Labor Standards Act, collective actions, and state law wage and hour class actions. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maggie. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. Why don't we jump right in? Um, Because many exempt employees got sent home, um, maybe their duties have changed. There's probably a lot of things that they could do in the office that maybe, or, or at their job that they can't do at home. Um, could we just talk a little bit about how that could unexpectedly create liability issues? Sure. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be something that employers are dealing with and, and have already been dealing with, um, but I don't anticipate that's going to go away. So big picture, of course, employees can be required to perform work outside of their typical job duties. doesn't matter if the work that you want the employee to perform is listed in their job description Um, or is outside of it, the only limit that the Fair Labor Standards Act places on the type of work that employees can do is for those who are under 18. So now that we've got kind of the the groundwork, um, the question here is really what happens when an exempt employee has to perform some non-exempt duties? Um, As just a brief refresher, the Fair Labor Standards Act provides an exemption from both minimum wage and overtime for employees who are employed as um, what the regulations refer to or the statute refers to as bona fide executive, administrative, professional, and outside sales employees. To qualify for exemption, you've got to meet both the duties test for each particular type of exemption, whichever one it may be, and be paid on a salary basis at not less than $684 per week. So if an employee is performing non-exempt duties um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, can the employee continue to be treated as exempt? Um, I know that we all hate this answer, but I'm going to give it anyway. It depends. Um, And the reason it depends is because there is a little used provision in the um, wage and hour department regulations or the wage and hour division regulations that provides during the period of a public health emergency declared by a federal, state, or local authority, um, otherwise exempt employees may temporarily perform non-exempt duties that are required by the emergency without losing the exemption. So this is a a little used provision um, that, frankly, I had not had to look into before. Um, But this particular regulation provides that an emergency um, is something essentially that occurs rarely and that 
there are events that the employer can't reasonably anticipate. I think at this point, we can all agree um, that the pandemic has all of the hallmarks of an emergency under the FLSA. At this point, we're fully beyond the employer's control. This was unanticipated. Um, it's not reasonably provided for in the course of normal business. And there's a threat to employee safety and company operations. And in fact, thankfully for employers and for um, those of us who are employment lawyers, the Department of Labor has come out and stated in some recent guidance that it considers COVID-19 one of these rare events that affects the public welfare of the entire nation um, such that uh, it qualifies and is consistent with um, the FLSA's regulatory criteria for emergency. So if your exempt employees are temporarily required to perform non-exempt duties due to COVID-19, um, they can do so without losing one of the FLSA exemptions as long as they continue to be paid on a salary basis of 684 per week. Um, so this can't be a permanent change to an employee's job duties. Uh, it does need to be something that is due to COVID-19 and that presumably will go back to normal at the end of this public health emergency. Um, and of course, uh, I know you HR professionals will uh, be thrilled to hear that this will, of course, require you guys to keep an eye on these newly assigned duties um, to make sure that everything goes back to normal when the public health emergency ends to ensure that those exempt employees aren't doing exempt work anymore. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind, you know, you use the word temporary, you know, it's been four months, at least here in the States, uh, that a lot of people have gone home and many projections say that not only will it take a long time before things return to any semblance of normalcy, uh, they will never return to normalcy. COVID's probably something that we're going to just live with for a long time. Um, it might get more manageable. We'll have better testing methods. There'll be vaccines, other things like that. But it's a, at what point does temporary become permanent? Now that you have sufficiently bummed me out, Jim, um, that is a great <laughs> question. And I, I wholeheartedly anticipate that that's something that's going to be litigated going forward, because I don't know that there is case law out there that anticipates this exact situation or not anticipates, but that has dealt with this exact situation to where anybody knows exactly really what temporary means. So I think it's just making sure on a regular basis, you're keeping an eye on what people are doing because you guys don't have enough on your plates right now. I know. Um, because I don't think it's clear exactly what temporary is. I think the safest thing to do at this point is to keep in mind whether you are still under essentially a federal, state, or local um, public health emergency that's that's been declared by whatever authority it may be. I think if you're still under that, then we may be okay saying that that's temporary. Um, because that's direct language out of the regulations. But I think uh, only time will tell. Can you envision a scenario before the pandemic ends from a legal standpoint for this provision 
where someone would have changed classification and uh, that requires HR to, to get on top of that? Where they would have gone from? So, yeah. So, you, you know, the way that you've uh, explained it, it has to be COVID related. Um, does that mean that there's no circumstance under which someone's classification changes when they're, say, working from home? Or that can still happen, though, right? People can still oh, change sure. it. I think, I think that's still inevitable. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if somebody is working from home um, and they're not able to perform all of their regular duties, I think you still need to monitor exactly what they're doing. It, it may not be, I guess you could make a tenuous argument then that it's related to COVID-19 because that's why they're working from home. Um, I think the gist of all of this is to really monitor what the employees are doing and keeping an eye on uh, whether they're so properly classified. I think obviously the safest thing to do is if you know somebody's going to be performing non-exempt duties for a long period of time to go ahead and reclassify them. You can always um, move somebody from exempt to non-exempt for, for a period of time if necessary. It's just the more conservative way to do things. Yeah. I can just imagine a bunch of HR people out there wondering <laughs> about, because, you know, so many people have moved to uh, non-linear work hours. Suddenly you have an uh, someone who's been, you know, um, salary, suddenly they're hourly, but their hours are six in the morning to, you know, 1030. And then they got to take their kid to a place and they can't come back until three o'clock in the afternoon when they switch off with their partner, you know, um, so a lot, lot more work on top of all the other more work. <laughs> exactly. One of the other things that, that we saw a lot of was the changes in the rate of pay. There were a lot of pay cuts. Um, furloughs also offer an interesting situation for, for a lot of HR reasons. There are some issues that could be created there, uh, wage and hour wise. Do you mind talking about those? Uh, no, I think um, we're, we're certainly, we've been seeing pay cuts. I don't know that those will necessarily go away, um, especially under Jim's um, sad outlook for the future. Um, <laughs> But first, we need to make, of course, a critical distinction before we go any farther between exempt and non-exempt employees. So let's talk first um, about exempt employees since we just talked about those folks. Uh, can't reduce them, obviously, below that 684 per week. They've got to stay also on a salary basis. And for whatever reason, I've been dealing with a lot of salary basis issues recently. So as a refresher, being paid on a salary basis, which is required for all of those exemptions we talked about, um, means that an employee regularly receives a predetermined amount of compensation each pay period on a weekly or less frequent basis. You can't reduce it um, based on variations in the quality or quantity of the employee's work. Uh, if an exempt employee performs any work in a work week, they need to be paid the full salary, regardless of the number of days or hours worked. And while there are some specifically enumerated exceptions to this rule that will allow a deduction, those just need to check with your employment counsel before you make any of those deductions, unless 
absolutely positive it's permissible under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, and then, of course, on the flip side, exempt employees don't need to be paid for any work week in which they perform no work at all. Um, so just real, real clear, you know, they've got to still be paid that 684 per week on a salary basis. Um, if you're gonna, if you're gonna reduce a person's salary from say a thousand dollars to eight hundred dollars uh, per week, just make sure that you're doing it prospectively. That you're letting the employee know that it's coming, um, and and make sure everybody understands what the the new rate of pay is going to be. Um, with respect to non-exempt employees, we've of course got to make sure that those folks are still receiving minimum wage for every hour that's worked. Uh, we're already seeing lawsuits crop up where people have dropped their employees below minimum minimum wage. Um, and remember to check state and local law, of course, if you operate in, in more than one location or in a location where there's a, a more beneficial um, law for employees as to what the minimum wage is. And then course, of course, we've got to make sure that all of the employees get overtime for all hours worked over 40 in a work week. Um, so it, all of this essentially boils down to you can't decide at this point just because the budget's tight and as much money is not coming in um, to just pay non-exempt employees, for example, a flat sum of money regardless of how many hours they work, um, they've got to be paid that, that overtime premium. Um, we can't start paying straight time for overtime because of cash flow issues or require these non-exempt employees um, to take comp time instead of overtime. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with comp time, um, that's essentially paid time off uh, the job that's earned and accrued by an employee instead of immediate cash payment for working overtime hours. So Jim works 45 hours one week and then essentially banks that five hours of overtime and gets to only work 35 hours the next week. We can't do that um, with respect to non-exempt employees. That's interesting. Um, I understand that there might be a potential issue uh as companies restore full pay to people that have had pay cuts? Yep. I think that's going to be another issue that's um, cropping up uh, for a number of reasons. So uh, let's start with exempt employees this time as well. Uh, say you reduced an employee's weekly salary due to financial constraints during the pandemic. Let's We can use that example of you knock somebody's pay from $1,000 a week to $800 a week. Um, and now you want to restore the employee's pay to that pre-pandemic level. You can do this, um, but whether it's advisable to go ahead and do it is going to depend on how much time has passed since the employee's pay was reduced. Um, the reason for this is essentially that an exempt employee's salary should stay put for a reasonable period of time Um I like to say a quarter. I don't think there's necessarily a magic amount of time, but you don't want to repeatedly change the employee's salary or it starts to look less like a salary and it may put the salary basis test at risk. Um, so if you're paying somebody $1,000 one week, $800 the next week, and then you bump them to $900 the following week, that starts to look less like a salary. 
Um, so I think on the exempt side, that's something that that HR professionals need to be cognizant of and, and prepared to deal with. Um, on the non-exempt employee side, I think there are a couple of issues there as well. Um, if you've changed an employee's hourly rate and you want to raise it back up to what it was pre-pandemic, um, just as an administrative matter, make sure you change the overtime rate as well, uh, or you could create essentially a gap there um, between what their overtime rate should be. Um, and then I know I've heard about people who want to essentially make their employees whole uh, if they've reduced their salary or their, sorry, their hourly rate at some point during the pandemic. Um, if you're going to provide some sort of makeup payment, make sure you're giving thought to what that payment is and if overtime needs to be recalculated because it is it needs to be included in the regular rate. Um, I think a lot of that's going to turn on essentially what you've said to employees and, and as I mentioned, what that makeup payment is. If you say promised employees back in March that you'd make up the difference when things were looking brighter for the company, um, that's going to start to look more like a non-discretionary bonus that has to be ba added back into the regular rate for the period of time that that's meant to cover. Uh, on the other hand, if you didn't say anything on the front end and now you want to give your employees an extra $1,000 um, for essentially taking one for the team and taking a little bit of a pay cut during a challenging time for the company, that starts to look more like a discretionary bonus. Um, I think really the issue here is going to be how closely tied is that makeup payment what are you calling it? Um, how closely tied is it to the hours that were worked and the actual pay deduction? Um, because that's going to make it look more like a non-discretionary bonus. And this is another area where it, it's just easier if you work with your employment lawyer on this so you don't get tripped up. Um, because those bonus lawsuits, while it's a small amount of money per person, of course, that that's where um, those collective actions essentially... Uh, fester and, and, and grow. Thank you so much, Maggie, for uh, taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or just to say hello. And make sure to check back with us next week when I'll continue my conversation with Maggie. And we're going to look at what the uh, landscape of lawsuits looks like right now as pertains to wage and hour violations. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.